You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Father God, we come together as children of your household, as members of your royal priesthood, as citizens of your kingdom, and we give you thanks that you are with us. You were with us before we came. You'll be with us when we leave. You were with us while we are here. So Spirit of God, work what you desire within, among, and between us as we gather. Open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear, our hearts that we would feel, our minds that we would think deeply about the gospel of the kingdom of God. Father, be with me as I offer a word. If I say anything that isn't good or right, let it fall to the ground, the mercies of the hearer. But if anything is said that is good and right, then establish it deep within us, we pray in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. amen. I beloved, you can be seated. So we've been in this series on unity and differences. And this is an important series because we've talked about how the differences that are among us and between us ought not be denied. They ought not be explained away. They ought not be overlooked. From the top of our head to the soles of our feet to the texture of our hair to the color of our skin to our origin story, we should celebrate those things. The only way to celebrate those things is to receive and embrace them. And these things that we celebrate are gifts of God. And the only thing we're asked to do is to not allow these differences to become matters of dominance, where there becomes a sort of classism within the church where there becomes a superiority complex within our hearts because of our nations of origin or the color of our skin or the texture of our hair. But instead, we embrace them because they're gifts of God. And through the embracing of these differences, we learn how to love. We learn how to be the people God wants us to be. We, we press through what society says those differences should do to us. We embrace them and we model something different. We place those in submission to our baptismal identities which become our primary identity, which reorganizes, recategorizes, and reprioritizes the differences that are among us. Differences are a gift, and we learn how to love through them. And if we do that, instead of denying the differences, instead of dismissing the differences, instead of saying, all I see is my brother in Christ, if we, just, if we stop doing that, and we see and embrace and receive and we love, and we serve, and we welcome, and we listen, unity happens. Biblically speaking, you don't work to accomplish unity. Unity is the outcome of a deeper way of life. And that's been the series. And we've unpacked that 70 ways from Sunday. Today, I want to invite us to one more memory of this series, and then from here we're going to move into more direct Lenten conversations, and then we're going to pick up, and we're actually going to get uh, the Sunday after Resurrection Sunday into Philemon and let Philemon carry us out. That's going to be really our major text. We've done like 12 weeks of introduction, which is ridiculous, but everybody's crying out unity right now, like the whole like country. Everybody's crying out unity, unity, unity. I wish we were together. I wish we were together. But nobody wants to do the things that make for unity. We want to try and accomplish unity, but you have to do the things that make for unity. And so I wanted to make sure that we as Christians understood where unity comes from um, and that the kingdom of God, unity is possible. Um, what I wanted to do today is talk about the solidarity of God within all of this for us. 
So if you have your version apps, you can turn those up. You can turn those on. If you have your Bibles, please go to Hebrews chapter 4. And here's where we're headed. Jesus is God with us. We know this. Jesus is God with us to show us God's love, to liberate us from the reign of sin and death into God's kingdom of grace, to share in God's life. Everybody say share in God's life. So beautiful if you let just like the share in God's life, both now and forever. In Jesus' life of service, Jesus coming to us is God's greatest act of solidarity with us. Jesus coming to us is God's greatest act of solidarity with our weaknesses, our temptations, and our suffering. So I want to sit with this text from the writer of Hebrews now. The writer of Hebrews is writing to the Hebrew people. Now, real quick, just to kind of prove the point of the series, notice that this text isn't Christians, Christians chapter 1. These are Hebrews. These are people with an ethnic identity associated with the Hebrew story. So he wrote a letter specific to their bodies, specific to their stories. He didn't explain it away, which is why this particular text is so, so covered, covered and drenched in Hebrew scripture references and Torah and law. Because he's writing to a people that this is their story and he's meeting them there and bringing them to Christ. And so in chapter 4, verse 14, after talking through how Christ is the high priest, how Christ is now the one who mediates between us and God, who advocates between us and God, who stands between us and God and brings us into the presence of God, we come into God's presence through Christ who serves as our high priest. And he says this, Therefore, since we have a high priest, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Listen to this, beloved. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. So, therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, which means to say confidence, so that we may receive mercy, and find grace to help us in time of need. This is a text of solidarity. Now, when I say solidarity, I mean to share in another person's situation or feelings and actually participate in it. It's like empathy. It's to be affected by one another's feelings or conditions. It's about saying to someone, I feel you. It's about saying to them, your joy causes me joy and becomes my joy. It's like saying, your sorrow causes me sorrow and becomes my sorrow. That is solidarity. And this God with us, who is God for us, Jesus becomes the one who serves as our high priest. Standing in the gap between us and God, advocating for us, serving us. It's just like Jesus said in Matthew 20, verse 28. The Son of Man didn't come to be served but rather to serve and to give his life to liberate many people. God comes to us and becomes one with us in order to carry our suffering and sympathize with our weaknesses. In the person of Jesus, God chooses self-humbling, self-lowering, self-abandonment. This divine one empties himself by becoming a suffering servant, humbling himself by becoming obedient to death so that our death would become his death and his life become our life. 
And God's solidarity with us in this way moves God's sympathy toward us. Are you with me? Say that again. God's solidarity with us moves God's sympathy toward us. So when we find ourselves struggling with weakness and we come to God and we say, God, I'm struggling with weakness, God says, I get that. When we struggle with temptation or we're, 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 we're wrestling with it, we, it's, it's, in our, it's, in our, it's in our hearts, it's in our minds. It's something that just like nags like a hum. And we say, God, like, I can't, like this thing is just nagging me. I'm, I'm tempted by this thing. God says, I get that. When we feel the weight of the world of suffering on our shoulders and here we are again going through it one more time. And we say, God, God says, I get that. When we come to God and say, God, I'm just tired. God says, I get that. And the good news of that is we don't have to hide from our weaknesses anymore. So many of us put on spiritual cosmetics and we live our lives as if we're not weak. Like, like we do not give ourselves permission to just collapse. Because we somehow have been told that to do that means you don't have faith. And what this scripture says is that you have a high priest who sympathizes with that. Who says, I know what it's like to collapse because I collapsed under the weight of the cross I carried for you. I know what it's like to weep because I wept for my friend who died and I saw the grief of his sister. We're told somehow that we have to be strong as if being honest is anything less than strength. The strongest person you'll ever meet is the honest one. The one when you say, how are you today? They say, I'm not good. I'm not. Or when we have these temptations in our life, as if like we're not allowed to, as if we're like, we believe that somehow to be faithful to God, that it requires perfection. Beloved, God didn't call us to perfection. He called us to faithfulness. Which means we can be honest with the temptations that we feel. Like I told, I told Allison just the other day, like, I am committed to nonviolence, but the world won't let me be. Right? And I really want to be violent, but Jesus won't let me be. And so I choose the way of loving enemies from this side of the map. And I pray all the imprecatory, angry psalms I can pray and ask God, God, can you just ramp up the vengeance just a little sooner? Instead of acting like that's not how I feel, because I think Jesus looks at me and says, I get that. We are allowed. No, no, no. We are invited to bring all of this temptation and weakness, suffering, to the one whose solidarity with us moves toward us in sympathy. So that we can come to God, so we can approach the throne of grace with boldness, which is to say confidence. God is not dangling anyone over a pit of hell on a string ready to cut it at the moment and first sign of weakness. That is not Jesus. Jesus says, I get that. We do not have a high priest. 
who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Sometimes I think when we come to God after we've been holding in for a while, you know, we believe God sees it, right? That God sees these things, he knows us best, and still loves us most. And sometimes I think God, we come to God, we finally bring it to God, and sometimes I really believe the Lord is like, I was wondering when you were going to just like let me know what I already knew. I love you, kid. I get that. And when we open the scriptures, we see this. We see this Christ who sympathizes with our weaknesses. Christ enters into the temptation of the tax collector's greed, and in divine sympathy, new life begins. We see that in the text. Christ enters into the pain of the leper's suffering, and in divine sympathy, new life begins. Christ enters into the suffering of the hemorrhaging woman's debilitating sickness, and in divine sympathy, new life begins. Christ enters into the weeping of Lazarus' sister, Mary, and in divine sympathy with his own tears, new life begins. And so, again, we read Hebrews 4.14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin, so we can approach the throne of grace with confidence or boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Beloved, this is my observation. In Christ, our weaknesses find comfort, because in Christ, our weaknesses find companionship. In Christ... Suffering and temptation find its ultimate defeat in the suffering Christ who was tempted in every way as we are and overcame it all by cross and resurrection. For the deepest healing needed by all of us, the soul weighed down by weakness, temptation, or suffering must meet the suffering Christ Weighed down by the cross he carried to the hill of Calvary for us. This is to come face to face with the incarnate God who became one with us, for us, as us, in Christ. Who in carrying his cross carried our weaknesses and shared in our suffering and sees us and understands. God could have said to us, hey, I'm God, y'all aren't. I know all things, you don't, I get it. He could have. But he came to us as us and shared in the life that is filled with both beauty and brokenness with us. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore we approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Beloved, God's solidarity with us moves God's sympathy 
toward us. And this becomes our liberation. But it also becomes a summons. So here's the thing. A lot of times you would want me to stop there. Number one, that would mean it was a really short message. And number two, that's what we want. We want to feel something. We want to, want to be reminded of something in our faith that's about me. Right? That doesn't really ask much of me, but that comforts me. And that's natural because the world is heavy. And we sometimes just want to come to church, just kind of, you know, be made well again, right? But here's the thing. That's not how Christianity works, and we know it. When the, when the storerooms, when the windows of the storerooms of heaven fall into us, they are to spill outside of us. Because we have received mercy, because we've received grace, we are now called to give mercy and give grace. Because we have received sympathy from holy God, we are called to move toward others in sympathy. Because we have a God who has been in solidarity with us, we are called into solidarity with other people's suffering and weaknesses. So we can't stop there because, A, that's not where the text stops. So if we continue to pack it out, we find ourselves at Hebrews chapter 12. So if you have your Bible, Hebrews chapter 12, because this this idea of God's solidarity that moves God to sympathy toward us, it may be our salvation and liberation, but it also becomes our summons. And that actually is a gift. Even though it requires something of us, it doesn't require anything of us that God already hasn't given. And that's the beauty of it. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12. So strengthen your drooping hands and weak knees. Now, let me pause there. When we read that text, we could read it as individuals. The problem with reading that verse as an individual, the problem with Robin reading that verse as being written to Robin is because it's not written to Robin, it's written to Robin and the rest of us. So Paul's writing to a church. He's not writing to a person. This isn't written to the Hebrew. This is written to the Hebrews. So when he makes out a summons, when he issues a command, he's telling the church to do this. So you could say, hey, y'all. That would be the proper translation. <laughs> Y'all, strengthen your drooping hands and weakened knees. This is what we do for each other. This is the solidarity. Because some of us are walking with our back straight right now. Things are where they are in life. And we happen to be walking with our back straight and our shoulders back. And we're standing pretty firm. But some of us are just drooping. Our hands are hurting and our knees are weak. And as the people, we say, look, strengthen those. And as part of strengthening, that means you need to piggyback me for a minute. Go on and jump on. That is solidarity. That is what it means to be the people of God. That's how we strengthen. We say, when I was little, my grandma would see me all slouched over. Because, I mean, I have perfect posture. <laughs> hey. <laughs> like, you ain't got to okay. be all like that, Robin. But like, no, so like, but my grandma would see me slash over. She would, she would straight, she would straighten me up. Y'all know what I mean? Like, did y'all have a grandma that like straightened you up? Oh, yeah. yeah. Like sometimes wasn't gentle. Not the, I'm talking about the not gentle grandma. Straighten me up. Right? Sometimes, that, but that's what, that's what it's like when, when we're walking with, with, with weak knees and, and drooping hands. It's the people of God among us. It's the family of God. It's us. It's saying, hey, how can I help? Hey, say straighten, straighten your back. Or you know what? You, you sit for a minute. That's how we do it. We bear one another's burdens. And then when my back is weak and my knees are weak and my hands are drooping, 
and Jen's hands aren't that day and her knees aren't that day, she looks at me and says, I got you today. Yeah. Right? You know what we call that? Church. See, church isn't this. This is a part of it. This is the means to the end of everything we're talking here where we live this life with each other. And so it says, make straight paths for your feet so that if any part is lame, it'll be healed rather than injured more seriously. So we speak into one another's lives. That's the point. And we don't speak into one another's lives with judgmentalism because Jesus doesn't judge us. You with me? We speak into one another's lives with sympathy and we say, look, you're going to trip yourself up walking that way and you're going to hurt yourself. And I love you too much for God's sake to let you hurt yourself. So I'm going to, hold on, everybody, let's clear the path. That's, that's what this is saying. And the thing is, is we don't like this. We don't like being, we don't like it. Nobody likes being called out. I don't, I've never met anybody who wakes up and be like, man, good morning, y'all. I can't wait for somebody to call me out today. Like, I'm just, I'm so excited. Who's going to do it? Like, nobody does that. Now, some of us wake up and be like, who am I going to call out today? I know, like, some of us, some of us wake up with that kind of attitude. That's not it. If we have received sympathy from Jesus, then what makes us think we can give condemnation to others? I mean, Jesus, if we have received sympathy from holy, perfect God, then what makes us think that we somehow know the Bible better than Jesus, and that allows us to use the Bible as a weapon rather than a sympathetic solution to the way of life that is breaking us? The idea of judgmental, condemning Christians is the opposite of the Jesus. But here's the thing. Some of us, some of us love playing that don't judge me card, don't we? Some of us love that whole, well, you said, you said you can't say. That's not what this says. This says make straight paths for your feet so that if any part is lame, it'll be healed rather than injured more seriously. And then it says pursue the goal of peace along with everyone. The goal of peace. Everybody say pursue. That literally means aggressively hunt after. So aggressively hunt after, not passively wait for, aggressively hunt after for shalom, shalom, human flourishing, equity, inclusion, hospitality, compassion. Those words express the kind of shalom that God is working for in the scriptures. And it says, I want you to aggressively pursue that as the goal. Notice the goal isn't church growth. Notice the goal isn't evangelism. Notice the goal isn't coming to a church event and feeling good or even feeling bad. Notice the goal isn't attending something. Notice the goal isn't good music or a good sermon or a good time or even good friends. The goal is human flourishing, which if we pursue that, all the other things unfold Amen. as the goal. Amen. And this is why we talk so much about justice in this church. Because justice is a part of human flourishing. Because if you aren't flourishing out there and the weight of the world presses you down, you bring it in here. And because we are supposed to pursue justice for all in human flourishing as a part of our conviction and confession in Christ, then we sympathetically say to you, your oppression becomes my oppression. And if I have any power to alleviate that oppression outside of this space... It is incumbent upon me. It is summoned to me. It is demanded of me to do something about it. Because we have a Christ who is in solidarity with us and called us in solidarity with one another. And so we aren't allowed to turn a blind eye to it. Because we pursue. We don't wait for. We pursue human flourishing. With everyone. 
with everyone. Everybody say with everyone. Everybody say that means me. And that's not all. He says, and holiness as well. It's like the writer of Hebrews was like, oh, and holiness as well. <laughs> so what is holiness? We like to talk about it as being consecrated, as being set apart. And the way Christianity we like to talk about a lot of times is being set apart. To be in the world and not what? Of the world. What does that even mean? Like to be in the world and not of the world. The world's all over me. And I've talked to some of y'all. It's all over y'all too. Like, like we are in the world and of the world. And that's okay because we're set apart from the captivity of that. But here's the thing. Holiness isn't just being mean, meaning to be set apart from something. It means to be set apart into something. If you're set apart from something, it's to be put into something. We are set apart to enter into the world as the light of Christ. But we fall into the trap of thinking somehow that the darkness is more powerful to the light. I've never in my life seen a dark switch. The light is always stronger than the dark. The pure is always stronger than the impure. We are too afraid. And you know what? When we are, we can go to Jesus and say, this makes me nervous, Lord. And the Lord looks at us and says, I get that. I don't want to do it, Lord. I, I get that. Lord, I'm not sure it's even in line with life. I, I don't know what to do with the Bible in that. And of all people, Jesus is like, have you read the, you know, like, I get that. <laughs> people accuse me of that all the time. Jesus was called a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He's called a drunkard and a glutton. Jesus looked at us and says, I get that. Pursue the goal of shalom and holiness as well. Read that last line with me because this part, this is, listen, this is heavy. Because no one will see the Lord without it. You want to see God work? Then enter into the pursuit of peace. You may catch glimpses of God in a song and in a sermon and in a prayer and in a ritual and in a liturgy. But if you really want to see God work, come on, Jim, right? We want to see God work. We enter into Jen's life, right? You want to see God work? then you enter into the place of peace. You work to make for peace. You want to see God work? Then you be generous and see God provide. You want to see God work? You resist condemnation, choose compassion, and see God move. You want to see God? You want to see the Lord? Then take your holiness that has been set you apart from the reign of sin and death and let your holiness move you into the reign of sin and death as a citizen of the kingdom of grace and proclaim peace, peace, when there actually is no peace and work for that peace. And you'll see the face of God. Which is why next verse says, make sure that no one misses out on God's grace. You will not miss out on God's grace. Because if you enter into a pursuit of peace with the Christ who is in solidarity with you, you will need every bit of God's grace to do it. And when you doubt, and when you struggle, and when it is hard, and when you've had enough, you come to your Jesus, the high priest, and say, I feel like I'm, like I'm out. And Jesus says, I get that. You go rest. I got people. And then your people, who's supposed to be with you, called your church family, should look at you and say, you rest. You rest. I've got you. Because Jesus has us. This is how it's supposed to work. 
And then it says, make sure that no root of bitterness grows up that might cause trouble and pollute many people. And y'all, this is why we name things in this church, why we name a sin a sin, name a thing a thing, because when we don't and it roots, it pollutes the whole thing. This is why we love one another for God's sake. We guard one another's backs. It's why we choose to believe one another's motives when everything inside of us says we should question it. Why? Because we know who we are. Because we know who Jesus is. Because I'm God's chosen beloved, and so are you. We are members of God's royal priesthood. We are citizens of God's holy nation. We are the people of God's possession to proclaim the mighty deeds of the one who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And when we struggle with any of that, we come to Jesus and say, I just don't know. And Jesus says, I get that. And that is okay. So let me finish up. Because I want to carry on. Because for those of us who really need the practical, here's the practical. Like here's the to-do. All right? Here's the to-do. So Hebrews chapter 13, we carry on. So then let kinship love continue. Kinship love. Don't neglect then. Don't neglect to show hospitality, which is a kinship love for strangers. It's actually for strangers. For by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. Remember those in prison. Listen to this solidarity. Listen to the text. Remember those in prison as though you were in prison with them. Remember them as treated as though you yourselves were suffering bodily. Y'all, that's why we talk about the things we do. Because it is our problem. Those incarcerated, that is our problem. Those unduly incarcerated, that is our problem. Those living through homelessness, that is our problem. Those with bullets and bombs falling on their heads, that's our problem too. Because we're to remember them as if it's happening to us. Those living through substance use, that's our problem. Those who have everybody given up on them, that becomes our problem because that is what we're called to. It is who we are because we are a people who God is in solidarity with and called us in solidarity with other others, with others, and to extend the sympathy that Christ has for us to others. So when the writer of Hebrews says, you remember those in prison as if you were with them and the mistreated as though you were the ones suffering, that is why when things happen to our brothers and sisters of color, our brothers and sisters in another world, we speak to them because what happens to them happens to me and to you. We don't have a choice, even though we do in churches make it all the time. And it ain't right. And where's all this rooted? That we get to come to a Christ and say to the Christ, whatever we need to say. And he looks at us and says, I get it. Come on. I love you, and I'm with you, and I'm for you. And so marriage is to be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept undefiled because God is going to judge sexually immoral and adulterers. And the point of that, I think, is God's the one who's going to judge, period. So guess what? He doesn't need any help. He's got the judging part taken care of in his own time. We can name the things that need to be named because we can't be liberated from the things we're unafraid to name. We name them, but God's the one who judges them. We enter into them so that everybody finds liberation and freedom. Keep your life free from the love of money. So 
Don't buy into the world of scarcity, that there's not enough to go around, that somehow you have to fall under a different kind of economic system outside of the kingdom economics. Be satisfied with what you have, for he himself has said, read it with me, I will never leave you or abandon you. Beloved, you have Jesus, and you will never lose Jesus. Amen. You lose almost everything you own, but you won't lose Jesus. Therefore, verse 6, we boldly say, say it with me, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you. As you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Your relationship may change, but Jesus will stay the same. Your feelings may change, but Jesus remains the same. Your faithfulness may change, but Jesus remains the same. The America may fall and crumble to the ground, but you've received the kingdom that will not be shaken, and Jesus remains the same. Bullets and bombs may fall, but Jesus remains the same. Right now in the Ukraine and in Russia, brothers and sisters are, are worshiping, gathering at the table around the scripture, receiving the rituals and sacraments of the kingdom of God while this is happening because even them, even for them, they become our teachers because Jesus remains the same. Everything may change and everything may fail, but Jesus remains the same. You will never go to Jesus with your weakness or your temptation or your suffering and never find and, and, and miss him. You will never miss him. You will always find him there because he remains the same. God's solidarity with us moves God in sympathy toward us and this becomes our salvation. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.